Hey everyone, it's May 17th and welcome to our podcast. How's it going? What's up? Que pasa? Como vai? Como talivu? All right? Or as they say here in the USA, what's happening? Well, let me tell you what's happening. We are reading God's Word together and it is going well. What's up? I'll tell you what's up. As we read through the scriptures, the truth about God is being lifted up. The truth about the plan of salvation is being lifted up. The truth about God's purpose and destiny for mankind is being lifted up. And we are here to lift up the truth as it is in Jesus. So welcome to the One Year Bible Tour Guide. My name is David McAdam, pastor and Bible teacher at New Life Community Church in Concord, Massachusetts, and it's a joy to be sharing these moments with you as we meet daily to read progressively through the 66 books of the Bible in a year. I know it sounds ambitious, and perhaps it feels daunting at first, but look at how far we have come and how fortifying the journey has been, anchoring our faith in the unfailing promises of God. We are in the book of 1 Samuel in the Old Testament and the Gospel of John in the New And we will be visiting two short psalms today, Psalm 113 and Psalm 114, as well as three pithy proverbs that are great value clarifiers. In 1 Samuel, we're going to read about the story of David and Jonathan. It's a story of a redemptive friendship. I'm certainly grateful for the many friends in my life who, like Jonathan, have provided godly encouragement, counsel, and accountability. I'm most grateful to what a friend I have in Jesus. He came and showed himself to be a friend to sinners like me and lay down his life to redeem them from the curse incurred by their sins and to bring them into a loving relationship with his Father. May we treasure and properly nurture our relationships, thanking God for each one of them, and may we purpose to be a good friend to others. Let's set out on our reading journey today by reading from the Old Testament book of 1 Samuel, chapter 20, beginning with verse 1. Then David fled from Nioth and Ramah, and came and said before Jonathan, What have I done? What is my guilt? And what is my sin before your father, that he seeks my life? And he said to him, Far from it, you shall not die. Behold, my father does nothing, either great or small, without disclosing it to me. And why should my father hide this from me? It is not so. But David vowed again, saying, Your father knows well that I have found favor in your eyes, and he thinks, Do not let Jonathan know this, lest he be grieved. But truly, as the Lord lives, and as your soul lives, There is but a step between me and death. Then Jonathan said to David, Whatever you say, I will do for you. David said to Jonathan, Behold, tomorrow is the new moon, and I should not fail to sit at table with the king. But let me go, that I may hide myself in the field till the third day at evening. If your father misses me at all, then say, David earnestly asked leave of me to run to Bethlehem his city, for there is a yearly sacrifice there for all the clan. If he says, Good, it will be well with your servant. But if he is angry, then know that harm is determined by him. Therefore deal kindly with your servant, for you have brought your servant into a covenant of the Lord with you. But if there is guilt in me, kill me yourself, for why should you bring me to your father? And Jonathan said, Far be it from you. If I knew that it was determined by my father that harm should come to you, would I not tell you? Then David said to Jonathan, Who will tell me if your father answers you roughly? And Jonathan said to David, Come, let us go out into the field. So they both went out into the field. And Jonathan said to David, The Lord, the God of Israel, be witness. When I have sounded out my father about this time tomorrow or the third day, behold, if he is well disposed toward David, 
shall I not then send and disclose it to you? But should it please my father to do you harm, the Lord do so to Jonathan, and more also, if I do not disclose it to you and send you away, that you may go in safety. May the Lord be with you, as he has been with my father. If I am still alive, show me the steadfast love of the Lord, that I may not die. And do not cut off your steadfast love from my house forever, when the Lord cuts off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. And Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, May the Lord take vengeance on David's enemies. And Jonathan made David swear again by his love for him, for he loved him as he loved his own soul. Then Jonathan said to him, Tomorrow is the new moon, and you will be missed, because your seat will be empty. On the third day, go down quickly to the place where you hid yourself when the matter was in hand, and remain beside the stone heap, and I will shoot three arrows to the side of it, as though I shot at a mark. And behold, I will send the boy, saying, Go, find the arrows. If I say to the boy, Look, the arrows are on this side of you, take them, then you are to come, for, as the Lord lives, it is safe for you, and there is no danger. But if I say to the youth, Look, the arrows are beyond you, then go, for the Lord has sent you away. And as for the matter of which you and I have spoken, behold, the Lord is between you and me forever. So David hid himself in the field, and when the new moon came, the king sat down to eat food. The king sat on his seat, as at other times, on the seat by the wall. Jonathan sat opposite, and Abner sat by Saul's side, but David's place was empty. Yet Saul did not say anything that day, for he thought, Something has happened to him. He is not clean. Surely he is not clean. But on the second day, the day after the new moon, David's place was empty. And Saul said to Jonathan his son, Why has not the son of Jesse come to the meal, either yesterday or today? Jonathan answered Saul, David earnestly asked leave of me to go to Bethlehem. He said, Let me go, for our clan holds a sacrifice in the city, and my brother has commanded me to be there. So now, if I have found favor in your eyes, let me get away and see my brothers. For this reason, he has not come to the king's table. Then Saul's anger was kindled against Jonathan, and he said to him, You son of a perverse, rebellious woman, do I not know that you have chosen the son of Jesse to your own shame and to the shame of your mother's nakedness? For as long as the son of Jesse lives on the earth, neither you nor your kingdom shall be established. Therefore send and bring him to me, for he shall surely die. Then Jonathan answered Saul his father, Why should he be put to death? What has he done? But Saul hurled his spear at him to strike him. So Jonathan knew that his father was determined to put David to death. And Jonathan rose from the table in fierce anger and ate no food the second day of the month, for he was grieved for David, because his father had disgraced him. In the morning Jonathan went out into the field to the appointment with David, and with him a little boy. And he said to his boy, Run and find the arrows that I shoot. As the boy ran, he shot an arrow beyond him. And when the boy came to the place of the arrow that Jonathan had shot, Jonathan called after the boy and said, Is not the arrow beyond you? And Jonathan called after the boy, Hurry, be quick, do not stay. So Jonathan's boy gathered up the arrows and came to his master. But the boy knew nothing. Only Jonathan and David knew the matter. And Jonathan gave his weapons to his boy and said to him, Go and carry them to the city. And as soon as the boy had gone, David rose from beside the stone heap 
and fell on his face to the ground and bowed three times. And they kissed one another and wept with one another, David weeping the most. Then Jonathan said to David, Go in peace, because we have sworn both of us in the name of the Lord, saying, The Lord shall be between me and you, and between my offspring and your offspring forever. And he rose and departed, and Jonathan went into the city. Chapter 21 Then David came to Nob, to Ahimelech the priest. And Ahimelech came to meet David, trembling, and said to him, Why are you alone, and no one with you? And David said to Ahimelech the priest, The king has charged me with a matter, and said to me, Let no one know anything of the matter about which I send you, and with which I have charged you. I have made an appointment with the young men for such and such a place. Now then, what do you have on hand? Give me five loaves of bread, or whatever is here. And the priest answered David, I have no common bread on hand, but there is holy bread, if the young men have kept themselves from women. And David answered the priest, Truly women have been kept from us, as always when I go on an expedition. The vessels of the young men are holy, even when it is an ordinary journey. How much more today will their vessels be holy? So the priest gave him the holy bread, for there was no bread there but the bread of the presence, which is removed from before the Lord, to be replaced by hot bread on the day it is taken away. Now a certain man of the servants of Saul was there that day, detained before the Lord. His name was Doeg the Edomite, the chief of Saul's herdsmen. Then David said to Ahimelech, Then have you not here a spear or a sword at hand? For I have brought neither my sword nor my weapons with me, because the king's business required haste. And the priest said, The sword of Goliath the Philistine, whom you struck down in the valley of Elah, behold, it is here, wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. If you will take that, take it, for there is none but that here. And David said, There is none like that. Give it to me. And David rose and fled that day from Saul, and went to Achish, the king of Gath. And the servants of Achish said to him, Is not this David the king of the land? Did they not sing to one another of him in dances? Saul has struck down his thousands, and David his ten thousands? And David took these words to heart, and was much afraid of Achish the king of Gath. So he changed his behavior before them, and pretended to be insane in their hands, and made marks on the door of the gate, and let his spittle run down his beard. Then Achish said to his servants, Behold, you see the man is mad. Why then have you brought him to me? Do I lack madmen, that you have brought this fellow to behave as a madman in my presence? Shall this fellow come into my house? And this is the end of our reading from the Old Testament book of First Samuel. Now let's take some moments to reflect. The story of David and Jonathan's friendship continues. It is an inspiring example of the redemptive value of friendship. David is benefited in a godly way by this friend who loved him first. It is noted that Jonathan loved David as his own soul. This speaks of Jonathan's selfless concern for David. Jonathan was the heir to the throne, but he recognized that God had signaled David for that position. He joyfully gave up his right to rule in humble surrender to the revealed will of God. He loved the divine influence upon David's life. Jonathan is a model of a good friend. He demonstrated a selfless concern for the good of others. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, 
but also for the interests of others. Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. When God's love motivates us, the interests of the loved one takes precedence over our own. In divine friendships, we seek the good of the other person at all times. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. Proverbs chapter 17, verse 17. Both Jonathan and David were blessed to have each other as friends, especially in times of adversity. They looked after each other. They held each other accountable as unto the Lord in a covenant bond that spelled out the terms of their relationship. 1 Samuel chapter 20, verse 15 and chapter 18, verse 3. They asked the Lord, the God of Israel, to be their witness to their mutual commitment in friendship. 1 Samuel chapter 20, verse 12. It is interesting to note that David stays on a godly course while Jonathan is involved in his life. When Jonathan is no longer involved, we see that David's weaknesses are played upon by the tempter, and he goes astray. Not only does Jonathan look after David, but David looks after Jonathan. David points out Jonathan's naivete in his appraisal of his father, King Saul. His affection for his father blinds Jonathan. He does not recognize that his father is intent on killing David. Sentimentality blinds us to the depths of human depravity. Jesus was surrounded by those who pledged to believe in him. They wanted to make him king, but Jesus did not allow the enthusiastic support of his fan base to derail him from obedience to the Father. But Jesus, on his part, was not entrusting himself to them, for he knew all men, and because he did not need anyone to testify concerning man, for he himself knew what was in man. John chapter 2, verses 24 and 25. David speaks the truth to Jonathan in love. Yet David vowed again, saying, Your father knows well that I have found favor in your sight. And he has said, Do not let Jonathan know this, or he will be grieved. But truly, as the Lord lives, and as your soul lives, there is hardly a step between me and death. 1 Samuel chapter 20, verse 3. David and Jonathan's friendship is tested as Saul's hatred rages against David. David proposes a way for Jonathan to discern the truth about Saul's intentions. He absents himself from Saul's table for three days. By the third day, Saul recognizes that Jonathan's loyalties were to cover for David's absence. Saul tries to kill Jonathan. With this clear revelation of his father's murderous intentions, Jonathan warns David to flee for his life. Once again, David and Jonathan spell out before the Lord their commitment to each other as friends. Jonathan asks that David promise to preserve the lives of his children after David comes to the throne. If I am still alive, will you not show me the loving kindness of the Lord, that I may not die? You shall not cut off your loving kindness from my house forever, not even when the Lord cuts off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. 1 Samuel chapter 20, verses 14 and 15. Saul's demonically reinforced rage is further manifested in that he curses Jonathan, hurls a spear at him, and demands that he bring David to him, in verses 30 and 33. After signaling that David should depart from Saul's household for safety's sake by shooting arrows three times beyond the rock where David is hiding, Jonathan and David renew their covenant of friendship, even though it is apparent that David must flee. Jonathan said to David, Go in safety. Inasmuch as we have sworn to each other in the name of the Lord, saying, The Lord will be between me and you, and between my descendants and your descendants forever. Then he rose and departed, while Jonathan went into the city. 
1 Samuel chapter 20, verse 42. David is the chosen king, appointed and anointed by God, yet rejected by men. He flees to Ahimelech in the town of Nob. He and his men are hungry, and there is no bread to eat but the holy showbread at the temple. David is a foreshadowing of Christ, the anointed high priest and king. The priest, Ahimelech, has the interests of God in heart, submits to the anointed king, David, and uses the bread for a holy purpose for which it had never been used before, to feed those outside of the priestly line. Jesus, the greater David and greater Ahimelech, would refer to this when he was accused of breaking the Sabbath protocol by plucking and eating corn on the Sabbath. In Matthew chapter 12, verses 2 to 4, we read, But when the Pharisees saw this, they said to him, Look, your disciples do what is not lawful to do on a Sabbath. But he said to them, Have you not read what David did when he became hungry, he and his companions, how he entered the house of God, and they ate the consecrated bread, which was not lawful for him to eat, nor of those with him, but for the priests alone? We see that the Christ is the one who fulfills the law. He has the privileges of both priest and king. He is both the son of David and the priest after the order of Melchizedek. And according to the gospel, we who believe are put into Christ, the new temple, and under his administration. Or have you not read in the law that on the Sabbath the priests in the temple break the Sabbath and are innocent? But I say to you that something greater than the temple is here. Matthew chapter 12, verses 5 and 6. In chapter 21, we see that David's faith turns to fear. He begins to act foolishly as he considers the threat of Saul rather than the promise of God. David goes to Ahimelech, the priest at Nob, and lies to him about his situation. His lie is nowhere condoned by God. His lie will lead to the tragic death of 85 priests at the hand of Doeg, the chief of Saul's shepherds. Doeg witnesses Ahimelech harboring David, equipping him with Goliath's sword and offering him and his men the consecrated showbread. In fear of Saul, David flees to the enemy, the Philistines. Fear is faith in reverse gear. He seeks the protection of the enemy of Israel, the Philistine king Achish, by pretending to be a madman. There was no need for David to depend on his own wits by pretending to be witless. There is no record of David seeking the will of God in this matter. Now he is playing the role of a fool in the enemy's camp. I don't think Jonathan would have let him resort to this. Now let's go to today's reading from the New Testament, John chapter 9, verses 1 through 41. Jesus heals a man born blind. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, 
Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, It is he. Others said, No, but he is like him. He kept saying, I am the man. So they said to him, Then how were your eyes opened? He answered, The man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, Go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, Where is he? He said, I do not know. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now it was the Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight. And he said to them, He put mud on my eyes, and I washed, and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, How can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. So they said again to the blind man, What do you say about him, since he has opened your eyes? He said, He is a prophet. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight, until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked them, Is this your son, who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered, We know that this is our son, and he was born blind. But how he now sees, we do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him, he is of age, he will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore his parents said, He is of age, ask him. So for the second time they called the man who had been blind and said to him, Give glory to God, we know that this man is a sinner. He answered, Whether he is a sinner I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I have told you already, and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? And they reviled him, saying, You are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, Why, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes? We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, You were born in utter sin, and would you teach us? And they cast him out. Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say, We see, your guilt remains. And this is the end of our reading from the New Testament, the Gospel according to John. Let's have a recap. Jesus answered, It was neither that this man sinned nor his parents, but it was so that the works of God might be displayed in him. 
We must work the works of him who sent me as long as it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. John chapter 9, verses 3 and 4. How wonderfully this healing describes the greater work that Jesus came to accomplish. This is a story of a man blind from birth. Jesus discredits the notion that this man's blindness was due to his sin or the sin of his parents. Instead, Jesus proclaims that his blindness is purposed that the work of God would be put on display. And it is not just a work of healing that is put on display, but the work of salvation. The man is a blind beggar. This describes the desperate, depraved, and deprived state of our birth. We are dead in our trespasses and sins. Jesus sees the blind man. The blind man does not see Jesus. Jesus sees the physical suffering, but also the underlying spiritual blindness. The blindness is not particularly due to the man's sins or those of his parents, directly. It is due remotely to their ancestor, Adam. As a result of sin, human beings are darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 18, Except he be born again, he cannot see. In John chapter 3, verse 3, The healing of the blind was one of the miracles attesting to Jesus being the Messiah. In Isaiah chapter 35, verse 6, In the record of instances in which specific kinds of healings took place in the Gospels, we have one healed who was deaf and dumb, one sick of palsy, one sick of fever, two instances of lepers healed in Matthew chapter 8 and Mark 1, Luke chapter 5 and Luke 17 verse 11, three raised from the dead, but five cases of healing the blind. The Holy Spirit emphasizes the need for us to have our vision of who God is restored. God had a wise and hidden purpose in this man's affliction. The man would be healed, kicked out of the fold of the bad shepherds in John chapter 9 verse 34 and put into the fold of the good shepherd in John chapter 10. Notice the powerful symbolism in Jesus' act of healing. Jesus spat on the dust of the earth and kneaded the dust moistened with the spittle that came out of his mouth. He applied it to the man's eyes and said, Go wash in the pool of Siloam. Kneading the blood and healing the blind man were both considered violations of the Sabbath rules that prohibited work. Jesus illustrates that he predates the Sabbath and is the author of the Sabbath. He, as the Creator, the second person of the Trinity, made man from the dust. Jesus makes clay from what comes out of his mouth, his word, his breath, symbolizing his living word and the spirit of his life. He, as God, made all things and upholds all things by that which comes out of his mouth, his word. In Colossians chapter 1, verses 16 to 17, John chapter 1, verse 3, and Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. He gives life to man by that which comes out of his mouth, his breath, his spirit, and his word. John chapter 6, verse 63. The man did not cry out for healing. This is a picture of God's sovereign grace reaching out in love and setting before us Jesus Christ. The application of the clay to the eyes reflects the Holy Spirit impressing upon us our condition as lifeless dust. We are blind. We are lost. We need a Savior. Go wash in the pool of Siloam. We need to be washed. The water is a symbol of the word in the Bible. Now are you clean to the word I have spoken to you. John chapter 15 verse 3. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her, so that he might sanctify her, 
having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 25 and 26. The Holy Spirit includes the interpretation of the pool's name, Siloam. It means sent. When we realize through the word that Jesus is the one sent by the Father for our salvation, confess Jesus as Lord, that is God, and believe in our heart that God has raised him from the dead, we shall be saved. Romans chapter 10, verse 9. John testifies of Jesus. In John chapter 3, verse 34, he writes, For he whom God has sent speaks the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. He who believes in the Son has eternal life, but he who does not obey the Son will not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. He who made the clay has the authority to heal the clay. It is right to take care of each other's needs, even on the Sabbath. John chapter 3, verses 34 and verse 36. Have you believed on the sent one of the Father? It will open your eyes. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. John chapter 9, verse 5. This is another great illustration of the truth of Psalm 36, verse 9. For with you is the fountain of life. In your light we see light. Truly, in his light we shall see light. Jesus is the only light in which we can walk with God and do the work of God. Without him we can do nothing. We cannot walk or work. Now let's go to the Bible songbook, the book of Psalms. And as I said, we'll be reading two psalms today, Psalm 113 and Psalm 114. Psalm 113 who is like the Lord our God. Praise the Lord! Praise, O servants of the Lord! Praise the name of the Lord! Blessed be the name of the Lord from this time forth and forevermore, from the rising of the sun to its setting. The name of the Lord is to be praised. The Lord is high above all nations, and His glory above the heavens. Who is like the Lord our God, who is seated on high, who looks far down on the heavens and the earth? He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes, with the princes of his people. He gives the barren woman a home, making her the joyous mother of children. Praise the Lord. And now Psalm 114, Tremble at the Presence of the Lord. When Israel went out from Egypt, the house of Jacob from a people of strange language, Judah became his sanctuary, Israel his dominion. The sea looked and fled, Jordan turned back, the mountains skipped like rams, the hills like lambs. What ails you, O sea, that you flee? O Jordan, that you turn back, O mountains, that you skip like rams, O hills, like lambs? Tremble, O earth, at the presence of the Lord, at the presence of the God of Jacob, who turns the rock into a pool of water, the flint into a spring of water. Let's take a few moments to reflect upon these two psalms. Psalm 113 is the first of the Hallel Psalms, Psalm 113 through Psalm 118. These Hallel songs were traditionally sung as pilgrims went up to Jerusalem for the high holidays. According to our understanding of the traditions, Psalm 113 and 114 were often sung before the meal at Passover, and Psalms 115 to 118 were sung after the meal. 
From the rising of the sun to its going down, the Lord's name is to be praised. The Lord God of Israel is exalted above all the nations. He sits enthroned on high and must humble himself, soup down, to behold the heavens and the heavenly creatures. How much more so to look upon us, wayward earthlings, who can be saved. With God, all things are possible. He raises the poor from the dust and seats them with princes. He settles the barren woman in her home as a happy mother of children. Do you hear the echo in Psalm 113, verse 7 of the prayer of Hannah that we read in 1 Samuel chapter 2? You remember 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 8? He raises the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with nobles and inherit a seat of honor. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's, and he set the world on them. 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 8. How wonderfully Psalm 114 portrays the power of God's presence. He has delivered us from the world system as well as the power of sin and death. He has delivered us from the bondage of our past history in Egypt, that is the world where we were subject to the hard taskmasters of sin and the Pharaoh of this world, Satan. By the power of His presence, the waters of judgment have rolled back as far as the city of Adam, enabling us to go into the land of our promised inheritance. He has turned the rock into a spring of water, the smitten rock of Christ, the finished work of redemption, into a source of His refreshing life in the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4, and John chapter 7, verses 38 and 39. And now to the treasure chest of wisdom, the book of Proverbs. We are reading Proverbs chapter 15, verses 15 through 17. All the days of the afflicted are evil, but the cheerful of heart has a continual feast. Better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble with it. Better is a dinner of herbs where love is than a fattened ox and hatred with it. These Proverbs help us to focus on what is most important. First, there is the contrast between the mental attitudes of those whose thoughts are dominated by problems and think of themselves as victims, with those who feast on God's provisions and have peace and joy. Secondly, there is the contrast between a person preoccupied with the material treasures and anxious cares of this life, with those who live with a healthy, simple, spiritual understanding of who God is and live according to His Word. Thirdly, it is better to live simply with love than to be wealthy and successful without love. Are you getting your priorities straight? Seek first the kingdom of God. Let's pray. Lord, you have demonstrated your worthiness in your spectacular creation, your infallible word, your impeccable righteousness, and consistent faithfulness. Who is like you in holiness? You must stoop down and humble yourself to look on an angel, to recognize the heavens or the earth. How is it that you would choose to rescue us, the lost sheep, and turn back the waters of judgment in order to bring us home into your inheritance? We are grateful that through our faith union with you, the Lord Jesus, our refuge, our rock, our temple, we are in a safe place, free from the condemnation of the law. We can partake of you, the living bread, without any fear of reproach, even as David partook of the bread that was consecrated only for the priests. Today we choose to live in the light of who you are and what you have done to make us free. We choose to be filled with the Spirit, with a song of praise cheering our hearts, worshiping you as our greatest treasure. Thank you for the gift of fellowship in the body of Christ. 
We know that eating paltry vegetables in your household where love is suits us better and satisfies us more than a T-bone steak where your love is absent. Lord, we recognize the great need in the world today for your mercy, protection, favor, wisdom, and your preserving power to continue to spread the good news. Enable us to work your works and walk in your light. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for being with us on our excursion today, and we trust that this will inspire you for redemptive relationships and to reflect upon the grace that has opened up our blind eyes. Thank you for being part of this Bible reading community. You are always welcome to contact us by email, writing us at the email address podcast at newlife.org. And if you'd like to know more about New Life Community Church in Concord, New Life Fine Arts, or would like to subscribe to a free daily email with a written copy of our commentary on the one-year Bible, you can do so by going to our website, newlife.org. Well, until tomorrow, may I encourage you to look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith. He does all things well. Shalom. Shalom.